Howdy, critters. Thank you for tuning to Back Country and Barbell. Today's episode is a great one. It's a fun one. Jeremy and I are talking about um, how you can actually use training to determine uh, hunt parameters, uh, the distance you want to travel, and um, actually spur off a really cool conversation that um, inspired a fun little challenge or program, and that's going to be linked in the show notes, this legs and lungs challenge. Um, you know, really, when it comes down to it, there's all kinds of fancy things you can do, but um, in the pinch of it, what you need to uh, chase elk um is is legs and lungs right so um we we got a cool little challenge that'll target your ability to challenge that and um you you'll you'll hear the birth of this challenge um through this podcast so um i'd like to thank jeremy for uh for having this conversation asking your questions and, and kind of um inspiring um what, what's linked in this show notes so check it out um join us on this legs and lungs challenge at six weeks we ramp you up for four and kind of build volume and tolerance to a pack and, and mileage along with some sprinting and some other uh, aerobic capacity stuff and then um after that we taper you off for two and then by week seven you should be primed and peaked ready for um ready for camp so uh check that out really like to know what you think about it and um yeah, get after it, man. I mean, it, the inspiration for this challenge is to get folks more fit and comfortable and confident in the woods. So um, uh, please uh, check it out. Check it out in the show notes and let us know what you think. We'll also be posting some stuff on the Instagram for that as well. Also, guys, look, if you want to be comfortable, confident, and um, have capacity in the woods, you know, sometimes that, that does matter for gear. Um, everyone wants good boots. And but we forget about what to put in between those boots. Um, I would suggest Ellsworth socks. We all wear them in camp. In fact, it's really becoming the only sock I do wear. Um, I have uh, a light uh, no-show, the light hike, and uh, the no-show, and I do have a, a higher one, and I wear them all the time. It's the only sock I'm going to wear um, in the field. I'm also wearing the um, they're they're tactical and they're cold weather boot socks. They're the best, and in all temperatures, they keep my feet dry. Um, they keep my feet comfortable, and I've said it before, you don't know what a good sock is until you put one on. Please, guys, uh, think about Ellsworth socks, and if you do, try code B&B20, save 20% on the most advanced sock in the game, the only sock with patented um, V-channel technology, and the only sock that I've come across with a two-year uh, trade-in warranty. If you don't like them after two years, trade them in. So wear them out, use them again, Pete and the gang over at Ellsworth Socks. Guys, they're knitting their socks in America. They're putting real um, American ingenuity into those socks. And it's a really cool story. How about buying a sock from a family of the grandpa who played for the Yankees? Pretty cool if you ask me. And that's where the sock gets his name. Um, This sock will keep you handy in the woods. And while you are in the woods, guys, I think the program that Jeremy and I discuss, Legs and Lungs, will um, help you stay in the woods and give you some confidence to go further, go deeper, go harder. And um, hey, man, everything on this show it has that in mind. So train, hunt, and live your best life possible. If we're not doing that with this show, let us know. Um, we've had some really cool interactions on the podcast, um, folks clearing up interesting uh, questions about public land access, and um, it's really cool to hear your guys' stories. We want to hear more of it, and we want to also hear what we're not doing right. So review the podcast, reach out, share it with your friends. It would be really cool if you did that. Uh, love this stuff. Love helping folks. Love being helped myself. It's a great relationship. It's a great thing to do, and um, interested in taking it to the next step. So please interact any way, um, 
any way you think you can. And that'd be awesome. So until the next one, guys, uh, this is Jeremy and I having a discussion about how to build your legs and lungs. Thank you very much. <clears throat> howdy, gang. Well, howdy, gang. Backcountry and barbells, Joe Shamanic, Jeremy Day. Um, <laughs> managing some technical difficulties. You know, no matter how long <laughs> you do this, they always seem to pop up. And, um, you know, there's this, you know, there's this granola app I'm tinkering with. And I've actually found that it's brought real, um, real peace into my life. Um, and one of the little theory lessons in this waking up app, the, um, the auditor, uh, the narrator, whatever you want to call them, there's this theory lesson in it where he talks about problems and he cut the gist of this little lesson is, did you really expect problems not to happen in your life today? Like, come on. So, <laughs> so get with right. it, anticipate them, know when they're coming and head them off and manage them. Right. So, um, I used to throw my computer across the room and the stuff would happen, but we're managing it better than that now. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, well, that can actually, get expensive. <laughs> yeah, can. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, it's just stuff. But um, well, cool, man. I'm fired up to talk to you, Jeremy. Um, as always, man. Uh, the last chat we had, I was pretty fired up about elk season. We're getting closer and closer. Um, super close to that. Um, to that September hunt in uh, Washington and Oregon. And um, man, I can't wait to bury bury a dart deep in the chest of that giant critter. <laughs> no, I mean, to me either, brother. I'm. I'm getting super pumped up. Cool, but uh, before we get too deep into the elk, uh, to the elk conversation, I do want to shout out to, um, you know, it, it, you know, there's things about podcasting that are awesome, and you know, when you get into like interactions with people who actually take your advice, it it's pretty fulfilling. And I got a cool message that we posted on the Backcountry and Barbells feed on the Instagram page. I really. I would advise you guys to check it out if you give a rip, but uh, one of our listeners, uh, Travis Miller, um, check him out at trmiller0706. Uh, check him out. He sent me some before and afters and, you know, he started his fitness journey into, into, the, um, into the hunting space uh, with our base camp program, Jeremy, and he had some real cool things to say about it. He goes, uh, yeah, buddy, you're doing a great job sharing movements and tips with us. Got me moving and now I'm consumed. And even in this crazy heat, he's in Texas, uh, um, we're having, I still get out and push it. So pretty cool. It's, it's a pretty nice transformation that he's shown. And you know what's also cool about this transformation, Jeremy? While, um, while Big T down in Texas was uh, checking out uh, base camp and training, did you know he notched his first uh, archery tag? I saw that. He got himself a pig. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool, man. And um, uh, I should so, say hog. Hog, pig. Um, you know, let's not confuse people out there or offend anybody, uh, for goodness sake. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, you know, and, you know, it's also pretty cool. We actually have two fellas named Travis who follow this show. And, um, when I initially made that post, I actually tagged another Travis Miller, um, with that. And then I had to go back and resort some things out. So we got two Travis's listening, kicking ass, getting after it. <laughs> Um, I think that's just really cool. We really appreciate that feedback, guys. If you want your fitness story shared or if we can help you, interact with us. I mean, aside from the base camp stuff that started uh, T's journey, um, you know, from time to time, we'll, we'll kick them some advice. And, um, you know, before we get too giant, now's the time to interact with us when we can actually get to it. Um, so so, uh, <laughs> that's right. so we got big plans. Right? We're going to do this, but, um, no, but it's so cool, man. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the best thing. I mean, I love to coach whether it's 
whether it's coaching kiddos, coaching adults, coaching women, postpartum, all this stuff. I mean, helping people um, get closer to their body aesthetic, some movement capacity or, or some goal they have is, is really fulfilling. But um, uh, I think it's awesome. You know what I mean? So um, uh, kudos to you, Travis. Thanks for sharing. And um, guys, be like Travis interact with us review the show all that great stuff and then um some other housekeeping stuff jeremy you know we've been making a big push uh to help backcountry hunters and anglers um move along this cool um public land legislation through um through through government uh we were successful in getting the senate to pass it and um as of recently uh the house has passed it so this bill that's going to open up public assets um funds different things um it's going to um, it's going to be, it's going to come across, um, the president's desk. So, um, fired up, man. It, it feels cool to actually, that is awesome. yeah. And again, you know, what's really cool. This bill was co-sponsored by like, I think 290, um, 290 members of, uh, our representative branch. And that's bipartisanship <laughs> in this crazy device yeah, of time. Is. Yeah. In this crazy device of time you know, that's a sign that if they can get together on something like public access and funding this bill, can't we get together on other things too? Like, come on guys. I mean, that's, that's real hope for me, but, um, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to take this down a notch, but I do want to ask you a question. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of having, not that I'm having second thoughts about the bill, but I'm just wondering, I wish I, we might have to have someone who can kind of come through this and tell us what's going to happen. I will say this. I'm a little concerned when, when we talk about permanently funding $900 million worth of things. And then over the next five years, $9.5 billion worth of backlogged earmarks. I just wonder where all that money's coming from, including now when like um, there's a lot of unrest, you know, this COVID thing doesn't seem to be going away. So, um, you know, all that government money comes from us, right? So I know where it's going to come from, but I just would like to know if there's things that are cut to fund that, or if this is going to be another one of these cases where <laughs> if we're printing money to pay for it, I just don't see how we can do it. We're playing Monopoly at this point, bro. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's going straight to the deficit and yeah. yeah. And that deficit is getting more and more and more. And yeah, I don't, there's no way in hell we can pay it back yes. at this rate. I mean, yeah. unless they start taxing the hell out of us, which, I mean, then you'll really see riots, right? Yeah, that's right. But And then I, I think what's also interesting is, you know, just printing the money is also a weird tax because all that printed money um, devalues the current dollars that are in the market. So it's it's really yeah, interesting absolutely. that there alone it's, it, that there alone is a tax in itself. So um, look, I'm I'm happy for it, um, but in a naive way, you know, I don't really know all about it. Maybe I need to do a better job on that. So that'll be the next step. Um, <laughs> but you know, like a kid in a candy store, I'm happy. You know, on that note, we were out and um, we went down to Cannon Beach in Oregon and. Uh, there was a moment where we were in a candy store. Uh, they have a really cool one, Bruce's Candy, at down there. But the small businesses in Cannon Beach seem to be doing okay. But that was before some new restrictions came down. I know here in Washington, at least as we listen to this, they're they're tightening some things up. So so we'll see what happens. We got to support these small businesses. I know there's a there's a bit of a freak out. So hopefully, while the money's there, we can be smart with it. And um, I still think we should be investing locally. Um, so, so that, that's interesting, man. A lot, lot going on. What's going on new in your world, brother? 
Um, nothing much. Started my new business. I've been kind of busy trying to get organized on that and hopefully um, getting some traction uh, next month and moving forward. So that's kind of been engulfing me. Well, that's, I mean, isn't that right? Isn't that all you can do? You know, whether it's a, whether it's a big bill coming down or a stimulus check here or some legislative disagreement you have with anybody or even a fight with your wife, um, like no matter what happens, you just have to find a way to go positive forward. So uh, that's good to hear, man. Well, um, and that's the only way you can go. I mean, really, you can go backwards, but what does that do for you? I mean, it just allows frustration and yeah. setbacks in every other way. You just got to have that positive mental attitude and move forward. That's it, man. And, and that's, a, Get that's, it done. A, that's an interesting switch. And, you know, um, you know, I've kind of fallen off the uh, Fitness Friday casts uh, the last month, and that was because I've been dialing in um, some continuing ed resources uh, for my school district. I've decided um, as the school district pushes to do all this culturally, culturally responsive material that they want us to implement in the classroom, I'm like, well, we should also kind of bookend that with some real science and physiology that could also allow some of that to take place. And um, my, 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 um, venture into that is um, setting up some webinars with some breathing experts. And I, uh-huh. I, and I bring this up because as you dive into this breathing world, whether it's through yoga or through some performance expert who knows something about breathing or some scientist who's like dialing in breathing, you come to find out that some of these negative emotions, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear, um, whether it's stress, a lot of it's rooted in your inability to process carbon dioxide. And there's a real physiological response to hyperventilating. And it's not that you need more oxygen. It's that you're not tolerating uh, CO2 at that moment. So that's why you start to hyperventilate. That's why you're gasping through the mouth. And I bring this up because when you don't know what to do and you feel that anxiety hitting you, and whether that's like you want to yell at your wife, uh, you want to uh, throw your computer screen, or you just want to pout, that, that's, not, that's not rooted in you being weird or immature. That's rooted in your body's inability to balance oxygen and CO2. And if you just take a second and breathe in through your nose and try to breathe out a little slower than you breathed in, there's real science to back that you can, you can change your physiological state. So um, it's not psychology, it's physiology. So there's weird stuff there. There's, there's real science there. And it's just really interesting, man. Um, there's lots of stuff you can do to move forward. It can be breathing. It can be picking up a hobby. Dang it, Jeremy. It could be like what you're doing and deciding – it's time to start a damn business. So I think it's pretty cool. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. The breathing is pretty, it's, it's an interesting deal. I mean, yeah. I think we've talked about it before. There's some prison systems where they've found that, that these really super hyper aggressive criminals, once they implement a breathing technique to them, they've actually calmed down and they aren't as wound up as tight. Yeah, and I believe um, one of the resources I'm leaning on is um, there's an outfit called Shift, and it's run by a gentleman named Brian McKenzie, who used to be called Power Speed and Endurance. And um, I actually have a, a, a friendship with their lead breath coach, um, Rob Wilson. He's out of Virginia Beach and uh, met him through podcasting. Great guy. He's a former Muay Thai fighter who ran a CrossFit gym, and now he's doing all this breath work. But uh, he, he said some of that stuff specifically that um, Brian has been in like Sam Quentin dealing with lifers and giving them the mechanisms to deal with being in a four by eight cell for the rest of their life. And these guys are actually finding like peace in their life. And 
I know people might want to think, well, you know, he did whatever these people are whatever, but you know what, man, we all deserve whatever we all deserve the punishments we get, but you know what, man, like we, we all also deserve the opportunity to learn and grow and find whatever piece of joy we can. And it's crazy to think that a lot of it starts with <laughs> breathing, bro. Like it's crazy. Like it's, I know. it's right there for us. So there'll be, there'll be more on that. If you guys are interested in content like that, we'll, you know, we'll throw it to you. I know at least in the hunting space um, where some of my conversations with Rob started because he's starting to get into archery. Um, and I'm trying to link them up with some buddies who are out in uh, Maryland who actually uh, do archery Sika hunts. Sika, or I think you're in Maryland, you have to say Sika. But uh, <laughs> however those people in Maryland talk, uh, it's, it's an interesting accent coming out of there too. But uh, those guys. Um, well, and I think, I think the ability to try to control your breathing too, yep. especially in the hunting world. I mean, we've done exercises, you and I, together here at my house where we've got our heart weight flying out of the roof and then we stop to pause to shoot Yep. five, three, three arrows or five arrows and then, and try to shoot as quick as we can to just kind of help yourself under those intense, stressful situations. Cause I don't care who you are. You're going to have, um, I mean, there's going to be a point in your hunting career where you come up on an animal and all of a sudden you're just going to freak out and get the, what they call buck fever, which we've talked about. And then, um, but controlling your breathing and exercising it and conquering it will help you become a better hunter. I think. Oh, hundred percent. And we'll try to get Rob on or another gentleman that we've brought on, um, for my school district is a gentleman named, uh, uh, this gang, a nonprofit out of, um, Maine, who is doing some cool uh, work in the school district in Hoboken, New Jersey. Check out physiology, uh, physiology first. Um, David is a um, endurance athlete, runs hundred mile races, and he's bringing some of that breath work into the school system to help kids manage anxiety. So, you know, and it, and it comes up on you many times, right? It could be, again, it could be an argument. It could be a broken dish. It could be uh, getting some bad news. And, you know, for me, I experienced one of the craziest panic attacks of my life, having a little itty bitty doe walk up on a, on a game path that I was sitting on ready for it, you know, and it, and to be honest, it was a crazy yeah. thing that I wasn't ready for. Cause you know, I, I, I've talked about the story. I put a, I put, I put an hour stock on a herd of elk. Didn't get crazy. Um, when me and you were, um, me and you got that nice tip from that logger and, and stalked on that road, I peeked over a rock and there was a, there was what I came to find out later, a cow elk 51 yards away, didn't feel it, but dang it. I, I got buck fever hard and that little itty bitty doe walked up on that path. And I, um, you know, I gotta, I gotta get a sense for what that was about. Um, but you know, anticipating it, knowing it and doing some of this breath work is really helpful. I know one of the initial tests that I did with David, uh, through their webinar was like, you, if you do here, here's how you can kind of, um, there's a couple ways you can kind of like, um, judge your, um, CO2 tolerance, which is going to the more your body can handle CO2, the less you need to breathe. So people who can stay calm under pressure, that's not, they're cool. It's not that they got cowboy blood in them. It's that they can tolerate CO2. And one of the ways you can learn to tolerate CO2 is first knowing if you can. So an initial test might be for a minute, count your breaths and see how many you take. Um, the more breaths you have to take, and we define a breath as an inhale and an exhale, that's one. The more you take, the less CO2 tolerance you have. So when I first did David's little screen, in a minute, I took 20 breaths. And then when I did it um, just recently for the webinar, um, I was down to five. So 
think about that. that. I mean, that, that, that shows it right there. And then there's other things you can do where so, you, can, you can add exercise to I don't it. Mean to inter- oh, no, go. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so you're breathing 20. So does that mean you were more high strung? That means that I was not, um, not high strung. It just, it, and that, that, that's, again, that's what we're getting at. It's not a matter of high strung or personality. It's that my body at that time was not tolerating CO2 well, and it can do it for lots of reasons. Maybe it's indication that you're under recovered. Maybe it's indication that your nutrition's bad. Maybe it's an indication that, um, that you got poor sleep, you know, maybe it's an indication that you're stressed, but there's lots of reasons we go into this (sighs) hyperventilating state. And the key to it is, is understanding that you're hyperventilating, not because you're anxious, you're hyperventilating because the CO2 tolerance is, is, is trying to buffer itself and your body is trying to respond to um, balancing out CO2 by taking in more oxygen. The key to it is, there's some really simple things you can do. Nasal breathing is the place to start because when you nasal breathe, um, you know, there's filters in your nose that filter the breath, but also when you nasal breathe, um, your body releases um, certain chemicals that um, expand vasodilation. Uh, they help oxygen travel out more. So that your nose is meant to breathe and it's meant to process oxygen. And it's meant to deliver it to where it needs to go. So nasal breathing is to start. And then the second step is, if in your daily practice, you can try to make your exhales longer than your inhales, that's it. From there, you're slowing things down. I mean, there's an epidemic that a lot of these breath experts talk about, and it's just like sugar. We're over-consuming sugar, and we're breathing too much. Um, uh, 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 another cool place to listen to this. There's a cool book coming out right now. It's actually out. It's called breath or breathe. I always confuse the two words, um, but it's by a gentleman named James Nestor. And in that book and in interviews, he's talked about, you should be trying to breathe. Um, once you get this idea of comfortably breathing through your nose and slowing things down, you should be really looking for a six second cadence to your breaths when you're rested. And that's a six second inhale, uh, six second exhale. So Super interesting stuff. Um, we're just tipping the iceberg to it. But the other cool thing is this is this is ancient stuff that's been done for it's it's really an old art that is being exposed again um, by guys like Wim Hof, by guys like James Nestor, by outfits like Shift and Physiology First. So um, it's pretty cool. You know that pendulum swings all around, and right now it seems to be swinging towards this breath stuff. But um, I would really recommend anybody who thinks that they're high strung, high stress. Um, quick to throw their computer against a room, um, maybe maybe experience buck fever. We'll call it anger issues, there, Joe. Yeah, whatever. You got a high flight or fight. You know, quick quick tempered. You know what I mean? You, you know, you got whiskey in your blood. Whatever, however you want to phrase it, I'm fine with it. But I really think if you go into this idea and just breathe, start with breathing through your nose, then in conscious thoughts where you can really kind of sit down and really become aware of how you're breathing. Just try and slow it down where you're breathing. Um, where your where your exhales are slower than your inhales, and I think um, I think if you're really paying attention, you'll see that there's some there's some real benefit to it. I'm practicing it right now. Get it, brother. Well, cool guys. Um, that that kind of came out of nowhere, um, but you know, <laughs> you know, it's fun to get on that. But um, it is a matter. I mean, look, man, the the fitness space is the wild west. I mean, you can have arguments about sets, reps, equipment, modality, exercise prescription, what you should do post injury, what you should do to avoid injury, how you get bigger, how you get stronger. And then nutrition, you know, vegans, carnivores, paleos, ketos, 
Western diet, zone diet. I mean, primal, primal prescriptions, you know, healthy rebellions, uh, paleo solutions. I mean, there is, it's the wild freaking West, but when it comes down to it, none of that, any of it can work unless you learn how to balance out this equation of CO2 and oxygen. And it's really wild to think that something so simple um, that we've kind of missed the ball on this and, and, we're, and we're not really doing it, especially here in Western society. Like, I mean, we're so fixated on getting a thousand likes on an Instagram post and, and, and dialing all that stuff up that we're just, we're forgetting and, 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 and we're not breathing. I mean, so much so that we're the, the, you can, this James Nestor book is pretty amazing. I mean, you can change your facial structure. Um, <laughs> by by breathing properly. Well, so that's a trip. It's pretty wild. So um I would suggest check that book out. He did a cool interview on Rogan. Um the book is it's on my way to my house. I've been consulting with breath experts for actually a long time. Um it's cool stuff. So uh a topic for another day. We just did the big broad stroke. So look on for that one guys. Um but uh <laughs> we'll do that. But the the topic I want to get into today, Jeremy, and I found that spot in this book that I'm reading and um you know I like being a Catholic, you know, uh, I can lie to you. Um, I think the stories in the gospel are cool. I think trying to get after it and live like old JC is the way to go. You know what I mean? But look, man, uh, this summer I'm on like my seventh book about like um, native cultures here in, in North America. And they have, they had a pretty uh-huh. good, they had a pretty good go about too. So I want to, I want to read something to you about how these Navajos used to do things. And this, this um, excerpt comes from blood and thunder um, the Epic Story of Kit Carson and the Conquest of the American West. It's a pretty awesome book. It's written by a guy named Hampton Sides. But um, I'm in the short goings of it, but it actually inspired the, the topic of the day. Um, and in reference to Navajo country, we go, uh, there was a mountain for each cardinal direction, each one inhabited by different gods, each one configuring prominently in the creation stories. From any place in Navajo country, a person could always see at least one of the four sacred landmarks, except to make war or to go on raids. Navajos were not supposed to venture beyond the borders formed by these great peaks or else they would face sickness or death. For good luck, many Navajos kept prayer bundles in their hogans, little sacks that contained soil taken from each of the four mountains. So I thought that was pretty cool. And um, Yeah, that is cool. Hey, where's think, Navajo? Where's Navajo country? Uh, they're in the, in the Midwest. There, um, I'm I'm trying to dial that stuff in. But um, if we think about like Comanche land, that one might be centered around Oklahoma. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Navajos. The Navajos were thought more of like um, they kind of herded sheep, which is kind of cool in mountain ranges. And and again, there's a cool draw with Christianity where, you know, there is a thought that maybe the Navajos were the most like. Um, the most uh, Christian sort. And a lot of it has to do with this idea that, you know, they were into sheep um, in the same way that, you know, you can have shepherd stories in the Bible. So uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, But so I would think that the mountains, I I, I don't want to speculate, but um, kind of maybe the mountains North into New Mexico. So when we look at this book, so we're we're talking about New Mexico. So the, the, um, the, the Navajos had a lot of conflict with the Utes and they had a lot of conflict um, where they were trying to raid uh, the Spanish who were trying to populate places that are current day New Mexico. So that, that's where we're centered with some of these. And I'll have to look up, you know, again, I'm in the short goings of this book, but, you know, I think that's kind of real big time elk country, to be honest with you. Um, New, New Mexico. 
Yeah. So I just Googled it. I, I decided to use Google. <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, it's right in there. So it's that a- was Geronimo was part of the Navajos, right? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure. Again, I'm, uh, this is, um, you know, it's easy to, you know, no expert here. I'm not an anthropologist, but I'm curious, right? So, <laughs> you know, I got into this in a real interesting way. I read, um, I read Steve Vernella's, um, American Buffalo. Then I read, um, Dan Flores's Coyote America. And those books kind of chronicle these cool mammals that we have in this country. And then along that, there's some really cool references to native American culture And then, um, you know, listening to Rogan, there's a cool book, Empire of the Summer Moon. I read Black Elk. Um, I read read a biography about Crazy Horse, which was pretty cool. And then now I'm on this one Uh, because I actually, and it's funny how I came across this one. I wanted to read a book about a mountain man. Like I was like, okay, even in the Teddy Roosevelt book that I'm just getting off of, you know, there was this, um, there's cool references about uh, uh, North American, North American Indians. And this book, I was looking for stories about Kit Carson. I wanted to read about a mountain man. And, you know, it, it's kind of parallel in uh, this one Navajo um, with, with Kit Carson. So it's, it's pretty cool, man. It, it's interesting and it's cool to draw parallels to what's going on now. And um, where, where I wanted to bring this in was like, they had set parameters around their lives and, and their regions and, and they were, it was pretty sacred to them. And it got me thinking about like even setting up like a hunt parameter for a new spot. Like, do guys really take that seriously? And I think you should, especially for something like elk hunting, like how seriously you set these parameters in your life and in the spots you want to hunt and kind of parallel that with like, you know, what your physical capacities are. You know, I think you're, 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 you're setting a recipe that can be an, an enjoyable and successful hunt and also one that will keep you safe because it's, it's within your means. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah, so so that's where we start. But um, how cool is it? Wouldn't it be cool to have like this little pouch? You know, and, and, and Catholics do this, right? <laughs> you know, we have rosaries. Yeah, we have our rosary. Yeah. yeah, and that's a cool symbol, and it's a reminder of what to do. And going back to the breath work, it's something to do and um, something to have. But, you know, it, what, you know what's funny? One thing that I do, um, I have this little shrine, this little thing where I put all my important stuff in the garage. Uh, next to all my hunting stuff, but it's like this cool thing. But I put little rocks on there from special moments, and I grab them and throw them up there. And I can grab these rocks, and I can I can remember you know certain things. And one of them is from the first time at Cannon Beach where I stumbled on an elk herd um, when I went on a morning run. And if anyone's been to Cannon Beach, it's pretty cool. If you go out of the surf and sand and head right and run about a mile down the beach, you're in this cool state park. And I stumbled upon a herd of elk out there. Um, I thought it was a cool thing. <laughs> Picked up a rock and, and you it's catch a, them swimming in the ocean. <laughs> no, I did not see them swimming in the ocean. They were there's they were, there's some pictures over there of them sw- swimming in the ocean there in Lincoln City. That is that's it's awesome magic. I think it's cool, but yeah. um, you know it, it's cool to have these reminders and it's cool to have these ties. You know whether it's a rosary or a rock or you know a bag of dirt. You know that that that's symbolic of you know, your land and it gives you strength. Um, I think it's a really cool reminder. So I think what it would be cool is to maybe help guys, you know, when they determine their perimeter, you know, in their hunt or their life or whatnot to, to kind of put that on some principal things that are, that are around capacities that, that they have. And I think it would help you maybe determine a hunting spot a little bit better. Um, so that's the route, that's the route I want to take it, man. Let's do it. 
So yeah, on the so parameters, what, what, what are all your, what are you looking for? All right. So, so here's the way I want to take this. So like we're, we're going to be going, at least while I am, it'll be another spot. Um, you know, for example, when we do our Southern hunt in Oregon, like it's new country for me. So, you know, determining that spot based on the pin that you have, like, you know, I wanted to walk out from like, you know, from that spot or from road access or from the trailhead, like what can hunters think about one to three miles from out, uh, three to five miles out, five to 10 miles out, and then a, a 10 plus mile zone. And I think by considering that hunt parameter and maybe uh, what people can look for in each one, you know, you can, you can actually determine what your hunt parameter is, you know, um, you know, are you, capable of going 10 miles from the trailhead you know are you better suited to hunt from the road one to three miles you know what i mean and drive the roads and i think you know being realistic about that hunt parameter i think is going to help you shape pick spots and be more prepared when you're into elk when you're not into elk and how to get in and out of the woods so how would one determine what their parameters are so so in my mind i could say i'm going to do 10 miles yeah. Cuz I did it like 14 years ago but now I'm 70 pounds heavier. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I th- and right? I think, Yeah, well so I think mentally you think you can do it. So how would one test to see okay, can I go 2 miles in, 3 miles in? What what are things that they need to kind of what do you think they would need to think about? Well, no, this is why I think this is an important part of having. We've had really successful hunters on the show who will attest that, you know, the will to want to do it is enough. And um, I will say yeah. that I don't think that's true. And I think when that's what you're leaning on, the will to do it without any concept of what you're capable of, I think that um, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're putting the hands in luck there. So, uh, so I, this is why I think training so important. I mean, this is where, yeah, I agree. yeah, if you, if you want to hunt, you should be hiking. You know, if you want to, if you want to pack out an elk 10 miles back, you better be doing some sort of resistance training. If, if you're even going to consider taking on tough terrain, um, in New Mexico, Oregon, Washington, whatever, some of these spots, it's going to be off the grid and, and off the road. Well, you, you also better be doing some interesting mobility practices because you're a slip away from, you know, slipping, slipping a knee, slipping a disc and having some problems. So, you know, I think you can develop or get aware of some of these capacities um, for developing your hunt parameter by just training and being aware of what you are. And then also too, like you said, it's okay to lean on past experiences, you know, and the closer those past experiences are to what you're trying to do, the better. Um, so that's really yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying though, basically is that a guy thinks in his head that he can do it. It has not, you know, just cause he thinks he can do it physically. He really can't. Well, I mean, maybe I mean, you, can, you, yeah. you could, you could do it if you have the pure, or the sheer drive to do it and get in there and get out. But like you said, you're more apt to injury. You're actually, you're going to be more of a liability for the hunting party. And, um, but I'm just saying psychologically guys will think I can go in 10 miles because they've done it once before, just like you and I, I think we could probably go out and beat a bunch of 18 year olds in a game of football (laughs) because in our mind, we've done it so many times. Sure. Right. So you have this over, let's call it overconfidence in your ability, but you don't really truly have the ability. So how would one test that? What do you just maybe 
throw on a pack and then hike two miles and then come back and then assess and sure I mean, how how would one test and this is this is basic strength and conditioning like the further away from you are from yeah. your event so you should hopefully begin to train for it you know maybe you have some you know if, if you're a year out you're in really good shape because mm-hmm. you can begin to do some wacky stuff in terms of building your body in terms of you know barbell work or or running or doing and we've seen these we've seen these transformations i mean if you even look at popular hunter cameron haynes right you know he comes into this thinking he needs to run marathons well he does he gets real skinny he runs marathons and he's developing this aerobic capacity well then he comes to find out on his on his elk hunting journey that well muscles matter too so i can get the pack out and then he starts you know now you know he's running 100 mile races on you know 170 pound frame which is not uh the typical person to do this so the further away you are from your actual event and you put planning towards it you can do different things in the general strength and conditioning program that would be your time maybe a year out a year uh-huh. to a year to nine months out you can do the wacky stuff that doesn't really look like elk, elk hunting maybe you're Maybe you're, you love barbells, so you're going to do like a starting strength protocol to build strength. And there's lots of benefit to that. You know, there's bone density, muscle growth, strength in general. You can start to do that. Or maybe you've decided based on what you're doing, um, you, I'm strong already, but I've decided you know, my elk hunts, I don't have the capacity in terms of my lungs. So I'm going to start taking on some running. So the further away you are, you can really attack long-term goals like strength and stuff like that. But then as you inch closer to your actual event, like if, if you're just getting into the elk game now and you're assessing yourself, um, you know, you, you need to, you need to kind of put the pedal to the metal and attack the low hanging fruit. And at the end of the day, that may mean you're going on a small, uh, smaller, shorter hunt. And, and that's going to keep you safe because look, if you're not assessing your capacity somehow, and I think that's simple as, Find something that looks like elk hunting to you and test to see what you can do. And then from there, you can develop some sort of a protocol to improve that test. And the further away you are from elk camp or whatever your mission is, um, it can be wacky stuff. But then the closer you get to elk camp, it should look like it. For example, what I did last weekend, I went with the family. I put on a 40-pound weight. uh, Nope. I'm lying to you. I put on a 30 pound vest and I walked up to Fremont lookout with it. And then the day after I went um, on another hike where me and the wife and another family, we hiked out to um, snow Lake, you know, we covered, we covered, I think when you do the math, it was like 15 miles in those two days, not to mention I was training, working out. So I'm trying to accumulate things that look like it. So um, does that help where, where, where you're ultimately comes down to, are you assessing your skills and are you setting realistic expectations about your capacities based on those skills? Yeah. And I said, yeah, no, and that's what I'm getting at. It's just like, as an individual, you should go out and test yourself mm-hmm. in a manner to see if you're really up, if you're really physically in shape for it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, you and I have been going back and forth on some, you know, you put me on the program. Um, and then I was asking you when we went fishing, I said, Hey man, I'm, we're getting closer. What do I need to do to bump up weight? Should I, you know, what should I focus on? You said, Hey, get a weighted pack. Yeah. So I took the weighted pack. I put 40 pounds on my back and I started hiking and I went four miles and the next day I was super duper sore. Yeah. 
And, and that's the because, other part. And, and, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to put 40 pounds on and I'll be no problem. In the past, what I've done is I've gone 20 pounds and then I'll put 30 and then I'll put, I'll work my way up to 40 pounds. This time I thought, well, hell, I'm just going to throw 40 on because last year that's what I did and I was good to go. But last year I also had knee pain. I had back pain. I had a few other aches and pains while I was doing it and I just pushed through it. This time I did not. I was just really, really sore. Yeah, and because and you, 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 you had some training and you, you tried something, you ramped it up. And that's the real benefit. And the longer, the longer out you can assess yourself and your capacities, the longer you can also grade that ramp up to your desired outcome. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, if you're, you know, if you're 130 pounds soaking wet and you, you want to go 10 miles in and you want to pack out, you know, a couple hindquarters, you're going to be in a world of hurt. It, I just, I don't think that that's the thing you should do, right? But if you have decided a year out that that's your goal, you can begin to ramp that up slowly. And um, I agree with what you're trying to do, you know, get the pack on, walk it up slowly. So, you know, for me, I would probably stick with the 40 pounds now. And I would, I would, oh, yeah. I would do what you've done until you're not sore anymore and then work it back up. And the ultimate goal should be to maybe, you know, three weeks out from elk camp, um, three weeks out from elk camp, what you were, or, you know, two to three weeks out. Cause there's a concept in strength and conditioning called super compensation. And, you know, depending on your capacities, that could be a one to three week window where if you hit a really hard training week, two to three weeks out from your event, and then you begin to deload and back off by the time your body super compensates and you're in your event, you'll be stronger than you were when you did that final big test and done right. That means your capacities are going to be above that really last hard score. So if you think about this in a weightlifting sense, you know, if I'm a, if I'm an Olympic weightlifter, which I was at one point, um, but you know, if, if I'm going to put my hardest training, um, and again, what's really cool with training, you can dial this window in to see who you are personally and you can dial this in. But, you know, maybe you say, okay, uh, I've, for whatever reason, I'm going to pick two weeks out. So from two weeks out from your event, so for us, maybe it's, um, you know, the Washington opener is what, uh, September 13th? 11th? Yeah, the 13th. Okay, so for no, me, what I would say is my hardest workout with my pack should be two weeks out from elk camp. You know what I mean? So maybe that's the day where, you know, hell or high water, I'm putting a hundred pounds on my back and I'm going to climb the steepest freaking mountain I can. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, that's the day that's going to be the hardest. That's the day I'm going to push my ass to the limit. And then based off what you can do that day, now you begin to recover towards elk camp and done right. You should feel like a spring chicken and ready to roll. And you'll also have an idea of what you can do. You know what I mean? You, I did this, I did that. And you'd be able to look back. Um, and, and, and that's how you can apply strength and conditioning uh, to your training to determine your hunt parameter. So if you find out on that two week test to, you know, that test two weeks out that, you know, and, and I'll say this, another thing, you know, don't make the test so bad where you're going to injure yourself. It's still training. It's not competition. So be safe. Right. So, you know, maybe we, maybe we take a hike around here together. We set up our packs the way we're going to do it, but then we put a little extra load in to maybe think about what a, what a quarter is going to look like. And that's the day that we kind of safely test our limits and that's going to set the standard. So, you know, if we put a hundred pounds on our back, 
80 pounds on her back or whatever we've determined through our training, that load is a good training load that's going to help us super compensate for the, 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 the competition, which is elk camp. Um, well, then that's going to help us determine, you know, if with that 100-pound pack, we can't do more than five miles, well, then that means if we're 10 miles out on the last day, and we see a bruiser, it's not really an ethical shot because we can't get the whole animal out. So that, 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 that's to me where it can really help you determine your hunt parameter, um, how far you should go in, why you should go in, and, and maybe even help you determine the length of the hunt. Yeah, jumping back to the three, three weeks, the last three weeks or the three yeah. weeks prior to, are you doing that 100 pounds once a week, twice a week, three times a week? I would probably be some linear for most folks. It'll probably be some sort of a linear progression, you know, like you where you're at right now. You know, if we look at, we look at your kind of, your kind of acclimating right now back to your pack and you just put 40 pounds in it. So how many, how many, um, how many weeks do we have from right now to elk camp? I don't have a calendar in front of me. This is really easy. Uh, Let me look. I'm going to walk over to it. Um, We have, so we're in July here. We've got, we have one, Dude, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks. Now that's seven weeks to elk camp or seven weeks to with this test I'm t- talking about? Uh, seven weeks to the opener. Okay, so you have five weeks of training right now, right? And then that other five, that other two weeks should be about setting yourself up for success in the small ways. That would be like your preseason, you know what I mean? Like um, when you look at yeah. guys who go in the NFL, you know, their preseason August camp is getting ready for games. You know what I mean? They're doing some interesting things to train, but then once they get into the preseason, they're dialing back some of their training. So right now you're like in right now, we're all like in the midst of like um, August football camp. And then as the preseason games come, you know, that's that two week window where now you're kind of trimming your roster. You're seeing who's healthy. You're trying to be as healthy as possible. You know what I mean? And, and um, you know, we're not really, you know, we're competing against the elk in the woods. So, you know, we don't need to go as hard. A lot of the reasons you see injuries in the NFL guys is because they're, they're leaning on each other. So you want to be safe within that two weeks, but still maintain your capacity. So what I would say is you have a five week window to ramp up and maybe I would just say for that five weeks and here's, what's cool. This is almost like we rehearsed this and I promise we didn't, but you're, you did 40 pounds this week. Maybe you go 50 pounds, 60 pounds, 70 pounds, 80 pounds and ramp it up 10 pounds every week on that pack. And you push it up. And just stick with the four miles? Sure. Well, unless or do you think f- I'm better off to stay with 40 and go and then get my mile and then add two miles each week? Sure. It's all, it I mean, all is works. Is there a better way? No, it all works because, you know, who's going to know what elk camp looks like? Nobody, right? We, we, could, we could get yeah. out the trailhead and bump them and, and we're ready to roll and we're, 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 we're cleaning them and cutting them, right? But – but, you know, you don't know. So the more you can make it look like it, the better. So try both. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, you div- maybe, maybe um, you know, and again, again, this isn't overcomplicated. I'm thinking out loud with it. You can pick the four miles. You can pick the five miles and go up 10 pounds. Maybe you can do a, a biweekly split where, you know, you divide it up. Uh, you're going to go 40 pounds, keep with 40. And then the second, the second week with 40 pounds, or the sec, or or how about this? You know, within a week you could acclimate, or maybe Monday you're doing a four mile walk with forty pounds, but then um, Friday you're doing a six mile walk with forty pounds. Then on 
the next week you're going on Monday, you're doing four miles with 50 pounds. And then on Friday, you're doing six miles with 50 pounds. So if what you're doing when you run a split like that, each week you're PRing because on Friday you're PRing the load and then on Monday you're PR uh-huh. you're PRing the distance, right? So this is a this is a funny this is a fun way that you can you can um this is a fun way you can play with things. This is the puzzle of strength and conditioning. This is how you smartly build volume and distance and capacities and gain awareness for what you're capable of. And, you know, I kind of, you know, pulling that out of my ass is from an old squat protocol I used to run. You know, I, you'd start the squat protocol and do four sets of four with 75%. And then on Friday you would do four sets of six with 75%. And then the next week you'd bump up 3%. So you feel good about PR and the load, but then you feel good at the end of the week by PR and the volume. So, um, that's just one way. That that would be a fun way to do it. No, I like it. Yeah. That is a good way. I didn't even thought about that. Bam. In your face. We got it. <laughs> we got you better. <laughs> got you. No, got but, it in your face. I yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah. But that but that's strength and conditioning. That's how you do it smart. That's how you get past this idea. I hope it works out. And say, no, you know what, man? Because let's let's say me and you are out you know, on the Oregon coast and we're, we're, we, we got a herd of elk and we see where they went. And then we realized, man, it's the fourth day of the hunt. We got three days left, man. They're over that Ridge. That Ridge is six miles away. We might find them, but if we arrow one, we're in trouble. So we either have to decide we're going to, we're going to backpedal out of that spot and drive around the Canyon and get them from another perspective where we can have the truck closer or, we got to be making some phone calls to the wife and say, Hey, we're going over this ridge and we might not be back for another week, you know? So who knows, right? Because when, right. You, get, when you get that critter down in the back country, this is not, you know, it's not like, it's not like, it, you know, you're not throwing a mule deer or, you know, a doe in the back of the thing. I mean, it's going to take work and with two people, we might be able to get some work done, but you know, when, when you start to extend yourself too much and there's going to probably be a moment in every hunt, every situation, every game where you extend yourself, um, you know, the more you do that, the stressful things can get. And I think once you get outside of your, your parameters, your physical capacities, or, or even your hunting spot in your zone or the spots that, you know, it gets really stressful, man. And it's hard to enjoy. It's hard to enjoy stress when you're not seeing animals. It's hard to enjoy the hunt when, when, when you don't, when there's so much adversity, right. And this, the, the, the deck's already stacked against us doing it with a bone stick, right. So, so what, what can we, what can we put in our favor? And I think knowing who you are in the woods and saying, damn it, we got to go switch spots. You know, we're, we're not going to be able to do this if, if we don't switch spots or, you know what, man, I did, you know, that last, that last week of training, you know, I went eight miles with 80 pounds on my back and it took me this much time on a trail. So, you know, there's not a marked trail. So let's see what I can do. That's going to add this amount of time. And the more you're hiking, the more you're training, the more you're kind of journaling your, your experience, um, you're going to know what you can do. Absolutely. And you're creating muscle memory too, right? Sure. And confidence, you know, and I think, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a super important, I think that's a super important way to go about it. And, um, you know, and, and again, I think, you know, we invest a lot into this, right? You know, I'm going to be taking five weeks off of work. I'm five weeks. I wish I'm going to be. T- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I wish Damn, I- you're getting a lot of hunting in. 
Yeah, that's right. I'm going to take, you know, I'll take five days off of work and bookend it by a weekend. And, you know, I'm flying my mom in to watch the kids and I'm investing a lot into it. You know, I'm trying to learn things. I'm shooting the bow. Like, you know, why would you invest all this into that and then not, not rely on what you know you can do, right? Or have an idea of what you can do. I don't want to guess what, what's going to happen as much as possible, right? It's already a, it's already a crapshoot when you're hoping to find this horse with antlers on its head, right? You know, and then, you know, with public land pressure and not to mention other guys in. So I want to be as, I want to, I want to be a self-aware, self-reliant and confident in what I can do. So I know I can do it and not, you know, rely on hopes and fall on buck fever. Cause we talked about it before. I think, I think you're only as good as your, 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 your lowest common denominator when it comes down to it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that confidence, I mean, it, it really is a key to success or quicker success, right? The more confidence you have, the more likely you're going to get things done. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you and, and you won't default into that um, improper breathing technique. <laughs> that's right. No, sure. And incorporating some of that. You, you know, seriously. No, and a fun thing to even incorporate with, you know, we're talking about pack training and there's lots of places you can find some of these things, you know, train to hunt puts out a thing. Um, you know, um, the guys at Stone Glacier are hooked up with an outfit that talks about how to wear a pack, you know, and, you know, these different outfits uh, do it. So, you know, you can go out and figure it out. You know, we just out, we, we just lined up a, a, a thing you can do. But, uh, you know, I kind of lost my train of thought. Do you remember what I was getting on? We're talking about how to train it. Oh, no, no. No. But another another layer to incorporate would be some of that breath work. So, you know, one way to gauge your um, – one way to gauge your capacity there is also seeing how quickly you can recover. You know what I mean? So one thing you could do in between your, your long pack outs is maybe some short sprints. So maybe we just, you know, we outline Monday, you're packing Friday, you're packing. Um, maybe Wednesday you're doing some short sprints up a hill. You know, maybe it's a 10 yard sprint up a, up a nice grade. And what you could do is you could sprint really hard up that hill and then you can walk down it and not, do your next one until you can comfortably breathe through your nose in the fashion that was described in the beginning of the podcast. And once you can do that, you can sprint back up that hill and you can repeat it as many times as you want. And the cool part about that is you're developing a capacity just like the load you're going to try and strive towards with the elk, uh, with the pack out, it's going to be above what you might pack out um, in the elk woods. Well, you're not going to probably be in some kind of high-end sprint like that. So you're developing a high-end capacity there, which is cool. And you're working on that strategy that's going to help you recover. And the cool other part about that strategy is that's also going to develop a platform to tolerate carbon dioxide, oxygen, help you build endurance, get oxygen where it needs to go. And that's going to also further develop capacity so again there's some smart things you can do there you know when that when that you know when the bull of a lifetime walks up on you rather than go holy shit there's the bull of a lifetime I, what am i going to do you can sit here and say in through the nose slow and, and work it out you know what i mean so if you've done it before so um no I, th I think that's a super smart thing to do it's a really easy thing to incorporate i mean that to me you know on on as you're pushing, doing push-ups, sit-ups, I mean, that little conditioning program that we just walked through to help you determine your hunt zone is, is to go for it. And if you're someone who wants to hunt 10 miles away from the trailhead, well, you better be hiking right now. You know what I mean? 
and you better be yeah, probably hiking. Sure. Better be hiking with a load. You know what I mean? Especially because if you're that deep, you know you're not. You're probably not coming back and forth to camp. You know what I mean? But the other thing is, and I can tell you this: a lot of times those elk don't die on the top of the mountain either. <laughs> yeah, no, that's they exactly fire right. down. They they run downhill. <laughs> that's right. So so you better be attacking grades. Now we're we're super fortunate here in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, like yeah. I said, I, I've been going on awesome hikes. I mean, I've been hiking my ass off uh lake 22 going out to uh going out to um to rainier uh mount Sai. i mean crushing it you know cold waiting with you you know wet waiting with you uh, with 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 bread i mean you got to put feet on the ground and but there are some things you can do if you can't do that you should be standing eight hours a day if you i'm telling you right now if you can't stand eight hours a day you should not be considering getting off the road you know what I mean? Like hunt from your truck and that's yeah. fine too. Like you need to be on your feet. Like that's a big one. That's some low hanging fruit. So be on your feet. If you can't get on the trail, you know, step every step on a curb, walk up steps. I mean, you have things, you know, um, get a gallon of milk, a gallon of milk is 13 pounds, you know, put that on your shoulder and start carrying that up and down the steps as much as you can. You know, there are some things you can do if you're committed to it. And I think it's going to build confidence. It's going to build capacities. It's going to give you some awareness and, and it's going to help you, um, it's going to help you accumulate factors that are in your favor. Cause again, I can't say this enough. I mean, what I've learned in my, you know, look, I'm not a serious hunter. I'm three years into this. Um, and I'm working my way out, but the cards are stacked against you. <laughs> I mean, it's just not easy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so that's, that's where we sit with that. Well, and you know, the other thing you could do too, to get an incline is just go to your local high school or college and they always have stairs in the bleachers and utilize those. That's it. If you're allowed to, I mean, during this COVID time, but <laughs> yeah, that's right too. You should be able to. Yeah. Talk about cards being stacked against you, right? We got another one, COVID all this and you know, whatever there's, you know, there's, yeah. here's the point though. You can make it just, we, you can make an excuse to go poo poo yourself or you can make an excuse to get better. Right. And, and, and in either case, you're exactly. right. In either case, you're right. So I, I think just kind of laying out some things you can do to determine, you know, what your parameter is going to be, you know, I mean, you know, one of these other cool parts about like this, this little, little Navajo situation that I'm getting into, you know, um, when these kids, uh, these native cultures, right. You know, this guy tells this funny story and it's not, not even funny story. I don't know why I say it's funny, but he would start his day as an adolescent by just running as far as he could. And he did it in his moccasins and he did it, um, with a gulp of water in his mouth to help him get his wind and he would put sand in his little moccasins to make his feet hard. And this is what these guys were doing as adolescents, right? And, and they were getting used to the elements. Uh, they were getting, um, they were developing awareness for their lung capacity. They were hardening their feet for what was to come, you know? And I just think it's, I just see too often and it's not just in the hunting space. It's in like Western culture where folks want to buy their way with gear out of, a situation that their body just can't cash their way out of, you know what I mean? So right. uh, I want to help folks avoid that. And I think you can, I mean, uh, I'm on a good rant here, but you know, I've, I'm pretty pleased with myself, <laughs> you know, like I can do a lot of cool stuff and I don't get injured and um, I'm really pleased about it. You know what I mean? And like, I'm kind of happy, you know, and, you know, and, and, the wife looks at me nice, you know what I mean? And, and the, but the thing is I'm not special, you know what I mean? Like do some push-ups, walk up a mountain, develop some awareness. And, you know, if you keep accumulating these incremental gains over the course of a, 
of a week, a month, a lifetime, uh, you can do some awesome stuff and it's out there for everybody to do, man. That's just, I hate hearing, I hate hearing I have the will to do it and I hope it happens. That's to me is bullshit. I hate it. If it, it's just, yeah, no, that's just, that it falls along the lines of complaining isn't a strategy, right? Saying it isn't a strategy. Yeah. You got to discipline yourself to do it. Sure. A hundred percent. And I think when you do that, you're, you're stacking the odds in your favor in a game that's stacked against you. It's really hard. It's I'm telling you, man, I don't know if I'm addicted to the failure of it. Um, I don't know if I want to do this just so I can tell people I did it. I, I don't know the underlying motivation to it, but I know I get more excited about it every year and I've never been a failure at something this long before. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> three years into my weightlifting journey, I was qualifying for national championships. You know, three years into CrossFit, I went to the games with a team. I found a way to do it. You know, coming into my third year of elk hunting, you know, or bow hunting, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't bloodied an arrow and I'm getting, I'm getting shitty about it. And, but I'm getting shitty about it. I think in the right ways where I'm motivated, I'm training, I'm ready. Um, I'm trying to learn things, uh, I'm hooked up with guys like you. I'm, I'm trying to reach out to people and, and figure some things out. So, um, I'm not hoping it happens. I'm trying to stack the odds in my favor. So I know it will happen. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, you're building that confidence. I got, and I got some brother. This you're is- not, and you're not, you're not letting it, letting the past get you down. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many people complain about never being successful. And I'm like, you know, complaining about it isn't going to make you successful. You got to figure out and learn from why you're not being successful and then apply those learning techniques to, you know, becoming more successful. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, 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 it, and it's, go ahead. No, I was going to say for me, you know, not being successful is, is I'm still, this is a long game. And, and I think of maybe like even, you know, to parallel this with my weightlifting football CrossFit journey, like I was putting real time into that stuff and getting real experience. You know, I think the wild card with me and in, in hunting is it's still like a hobby thing. You know, if I kind of, I can sit here and say three years, but if I really do the math, maybe it's three months of actual time in the woods. Right. So yeah, the, well, yeah. it's just hard to get some of that experience you know you can read about kit carson right you can read about you know buffalo hunts um and that's what i've really been trying to engross myself into this culture hoping that there's some you know this accumulation of books training practice you know uh consulting with experts you know again I'm i'm trying to stack the odds in my favor as a guy who hasn't done it yet right so um, but we can all do some things like that. And, and and the more you're doing that, more towards your goal, like it's better, you know, it's fun. It's, it's interesting. It's keeping me going. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, one other thing that's getting me, keeping me going is talking to it about my wife, like, you know, catching a fish. Hey man, that wild fish was good, right? Hey, remember that elk that, you know, bringing her in, in that route has been cool. And she's, she's pretty motivated for me and including her in with that. And, you know, everything, you know, everything is everything is working towards this is the thing i want to do right so um i hope it happens this year you know i keep saying don't hope but i'm I'm really trying to stack these odds in my favor the best i can yeah i think you'll do it buddy do you i do <laughs> well we'll see because uh you, you, yeah you just um you're getting closer and closer and you've got time on your belt right you've you're able to 
put those experiences, you're obviously thinking about them because you're engulfing yourself into the hunting. You're getting excited. The way you're getting excited for the hunting season is just like, you're like, okay, I've got all these new methods, everything that I'm working on for 10, 11 months, and I'm ready to use everything, all this knowledge and excited last year. Yep, that's the goal. That's the goal, guys. And and you know, I think we can all do that from from a, from a physical standpoint. We can all assess where we are, and we can all get better. Everybody can do that. And Absolutely. If, and if you if you you know, I just don't believe you can't. So you can. So get out there and give it a go. We've kind of we kind of give like a you know set these parameters and these ideas. And you know, the general thought is: Are you conditioning yourself um, to do what you think you're going to do? You know, if you have this idea of of getting into the backcountry, well. You should be getting into the backcountry, and the you know, the closer to your event you can safely do that. Um, I, I welcome you to, and, and don't forget about some of the other things. So um, let's um, let's review that little cool program. So anyone listening with a pad and paper, I would really give this a try. And this is something we kind of just chatted out, but you know, you know, determine determine right now what your hunting capacity is. And if you're not, or your hiking capacity is, and I would really suggest depending on how close you are to your elk season, you begin to do that with some sort of load, preferably that load should be in the pack you're going to be wearing in, especially if you're going to be getting out the truck. But, you know, you could determine that hunt, that hiking distance, and maybe it's one miles, maybe it's three miles, but, but start with a manageable distance and hike that with a pack on. And then that would be your Monday, your day one. And then your day two workout would be kind of based off recovery. And then what you might want to do is some short sprint intervals where you're going to, uh, this would be like a Tuesday or day two where you're going to do some, maybe you're just doing 10 sets of 20 meter sprints. Um, And it could be flat ground. You know, we want you moving fast, going hard, make sure you stretch your hamstrings, you know, walk that back and make sure you're getting full recovery efforts because, you know, you're hiking, you're never going to recover. So that's more endurance. So what we want to do if the sprints is build the high end capacities, build leg strength, get that explosive power, um, and then take a day of rest. And then day three, you're back to the long hike, same load, same load, and maybe extend the distance a little bit. Maybe it's a half mile, maybe it's another mile, and then get another recovery run in, um, a recovery sprint effort. And then as that cycles back to week two, you're going to go back to your uh, your first distance. Maybe it's that one to three mile distance again, and you're going to make the pack heavier, and then on then then recover sprints, then heavier pack again at that um, same load on day on the next day, um, but a further distance. And you'll slowly walk up your capacity. You'll slowly build weight in that pack. You'll slowly put miles on your leg. Um, and then the last piece of that puzzle, Jeremy, is going to be, you know, I would suggest two weeks out, you know, you should, that should be your biggest distance and your biggest load, whatever that's going to be. And you see how it goes, you know, and based off of how you feel after that, you're good to go. And I know some folks listening to this might be like, oh, four days, that's a lot. Well, if you're, again, that's another thing to consider. Are you going to be just doing it for a weekend? Are you doing 10 days? I mean, if you're, if you're if you're shy about training for four days and you're planning a ten day backcountry elk hunt, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need to put the time in to to match 
you know, whatever level of hunt you're trying to accomplish. Sounds good. Well, there it is, kids. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you got, yeah, I told you. I told you got me on a fired up day, man. I was ready to talk about this. I'm <laughs> no, you were. You're on a roll. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was ready to talk about. It. I've been doing some cool stuff. I've. I've just. I'm ready, man. Like you know, I'm just. I love it. It's a really cool thing. I keep telling my wife this one's in for real. You know, this is this is not this is not jujitsu. This is not you know adult hockey league for six weeks. This is this is a lifer. And you know, with the current status of things, where what's money worth? Where's our meat coming from? You know, what's the economy looking like? If if I know I can better myself by getting in the woods and, and harvesting my own food, well then I'm taking control of the situation. You know, I don't need a stimulus check. You know, so I'm fired up for that. You know what I mean? So um hopefully you guys are getting there too. Um hopefully you're excited about whatever hunts you have planned. Um hopefully our content's helping you out. Um Jeremy, uh we've put him on some stuff and, and it's done with him. You saw you know, if you follow our Instagram page, you can see what Travis from Texas is getting into and, and making some transformations. And, you know, some guys that we're close to have really, I think, done some work on their training. And, and it'll be a good camp this year. And I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, me too, man. I think it's going to be a great year. Sweet, man. Well, cool. Any any final any final kickers for you, man? Is, I mean, is there any anything about determining that physical capacity and, and, and that hunt parameters, you know, folks – folks might want to consider i mean like you know the question for me to you would be like are there from, from your you know i'm talking about physical capacity but like if you're determining a hunt zone are there things that you should consider in your opinion or your experience you know, you've put a lot of elk on the ground so like you know a spot that's one to three miles out from a trailhead is that different than a spot that's 10 miles from a trailhead well, you know, it, it really depends on the terrain and the topography because sometimes you'll start at the bottom of the mountain and work your way up. And then, you know, where do you go from there? You go back down to where your rig is. And in some spots you're at the top of the mountain and you have to go down, down to the bottom and then, so, and then back up. So what does that mean? That means if I get an elk down, um, more on the top of the mountain or on the other side, I have and you're parked at the bottom of the mountain so then you hike up to it and then you're packing the meat down it's going to be a little bit less invasive on your body versus if you're at the top of the mountain you shoot at the bottom and then you have to go down to grab it and then hike up with 100 pounds straight up sure. so i mean there's so many different variables so when you're looking at where you're hunting, I would say in your capacity, it's like, okay, am I hunting more ridge systems? Am, am I, is my, are the road systems on the ridge or are the road systems on the, in the valleys or in the creeks or rivers? Sure. And then yeah. you just got to kind of figure out from there, right? Yeah. And when that works, makes sense. No, and work some spots. I mean, look, depending on how much time you have, you can, we can work some of that. I mean, honestly, if I realistically, if I realistically consider what we're doing, you know, anywhere from that three to 10 mile zone is probably doable in the time frame that we have. Now, as you get later in the week, we want to be closer to the trailhead because, you know, we have a hard out, you know what I mean? We have to, we have our heart out. It is what it is. And you only have so many days, right? So it is what it is. And, you know, when you get out into that 10 plus mile range, it's not the fact that I can't get there. It's not the fact that I can't kill an animal there. It's just the fact, depending on when we are in the hunt and you're 10 miles out, that pack out is such a big deal, even with two people. It I mean, is. I mean, 
you know, we packed your, your, we packed your bull out, you know, maybe what, you know, it was a mile from the car. Not even that. Yeah. Many. It was a mile. Yeah. But, but that was with, uh, five of us. Yeah. There was five of us. Five of us. We all did it in one trip and it, it wasn't so bad, but you know, when there's two dudes, 10 miles, you know, you're like you're doing some real work. Right. And that's going to take time. Yeah. And then, and if you're a solo hunter, yeah, which some guys are, I mean, I know, People have, my brother-in-law, it's taken him three, four days to get an elk out by himself, and it's only a couple miles. Mm. Yeah, there's a pretty, there's so, a pretty fantastic show on right now. If you, anyone's following History Channel, they're really, this alone show is, is captivating me. And this guy on the show, you know, he puts down a muskox alone without a backpack. And, you know, his trials of, of, you know, how many trips and inching that thing down the line and how long it took him and, you know, shooing bears off of it and you know it's wild man i mean it's real work these are things you have to consider you know and that's something that's even a consideration that we haven't touched on like you know there are you know there's black bears where we're going to be there's not it's not grizzly country right but that that's something to consider you know you not only do you have to you know stash and cash the meat but you got to hope it's there and, and when you get back to it right and not have to you know, come across something interesting. So lots of factors, lots of important. Well, and you don't want it to spoil either. So you don't want it to be in an area where, you know, direct sun. You got to figure out, okay, I need to get all this meat down to a creek bottom where it's a little cooler or, you know, how am I going to get this meat out in the quickest amount of time within the weather conditions, right? Yeah. When and we're hunting in September, it's a little different than the guys in October and November because they have a little more time to dink around. September, they're... It could be 90 degrees all week long, or it could be like it has been the last three freaking years raining the whole week and 60. Yeah. And then you got, you got wet meat and, and wet bags and whatnot. That gets really interesting. So, um, but again, these are all things to consider, right? You know, and they're all things that you should really take into. It shouldn't just, you know, it shouldn't just be, you know, backpacking and, and hoping for the best, you know, you know, and, um, should be working towards what you want to do and make it look like it and, and be realistic about it. And I think it's just an important thing to do. And, um, you know, I'm working through it. We're working through it. And I think, I think the more we do it, um, the better the hunt will be, the more enjoyable it'll be. Right. Absolutely. Well, cool folks. The more experience you get, the more likely you're going to be successful because then you have a better understanding of what to prepare and how to prepare for it. Yes, sir. Well, cool, man. Sweet. You let me go off on a bit of a fitness rant. We snuck in a little bit of hunting stuff at the end there. Um, uh, and his breath work in the beginning is really important. I mean, this was a pretty loaded episode. The breath work stuff wasn't even really planned and, and especially laying out that conditioning, <laughs> that conditioning protocol too. We might, I might have to type that up and find a way to put this in the show notes. So, um, cause I think that that's pretty useful. Um, but I, I agree. Cool, man. Well, fire it up gang. Um, hopefully it was cool. Awesome. Like, like I said, um, Review the show. Tell us you like it. Tell your friends. Get ready for our camp. Put some on the ground and uh, take control of your situation, however that is, whether that's through breath work, training, or practice. But um, all in an effort, guys. We're trying our best to help you train, hunt, and live your best life possible. Um, we're doing it. I re- Jeremy, I hate saying it like this, but I really feel like I'm doing pretty good. Right. And I hope, I hope we can help other folks do it. So, um, I appreciate you being on this journey with me, brother, and, um, helping me along with, with the elk stuff. And, um, uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, um, hoping that the little bit of conditioning stuff that we're talking about is helping you, man. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother, for all the, uh, fitness tips and all that stuff as well. 
Woohoo! All right, brother. Well, until the next one, man. You take her easy. You too, brother. God bless America. Get some.